Welcome to Wound Care Conversations, a podcast from Coloplast Professional. Wound healing can be complex, and here at Coloplast, we want to make life easier and simplify wound healing. Through this podcast series, you'll hear from our expert tissue viability nurses as they bring to life their extensive wound care knowledge and experience. Utilising the Coloplast three-step approach of assess, prepare and treat, you'll hear from fellow healthcare professionals and experts across a variety of roles within healthcare as we discuss all things wound care from etiologies to service improvement. Hi and welcome back to Wound Care Conversations. My name's Charlie Pick and I'm joined with Sam Wharton and today we're going to talk to you about wound infection. So wound infection, Sam bit of a scary topic for some of some healthcare professionals would you agree? Yeah I think um, lots of clinicians struggle with identifying wound infection in understanding the treatment for wound infection, identifying local signs of infection as opposed to spreading um, systemic signs of infection and it obviously has a big impact on the patient's quality of life. It has a big impact on the NHS on services, on resources. So yeah, it's it's a very big topic. And I suppose there's the age-old saying, isn't there, about working smarter, not harder. And given how difficult nurses are finding their job roles at the minute, how short-staffed they are, if we can give them a little bit of education around what to look out for for wound infection and help them identify that a bit sooner it means that they're not going to have that massive increase in visits for those patients. There's not going to be that massive increase in spend for the wound care that they've got to deliver. And they're all things that are really important at the moment for the NHS, for the government, for the country, really. The thing is, it's about making people's lives easier, isn't it? It's making it easier for the patients. It's making it easier for the clinicians. And anything that you can simplify, it's all of benefit because they have to know so many things about all types of topics, um, everything to do with wound healing as well as everything else in their, their job role, that if we can simplify it and make it easier, then there's going to be less complications which can be brought forward with that wound infection. So that's where the Coloplast Assess, Prepare, Treat really fits in nicely about doing that really robust assessment to ensure that you're identifying really early any signs of infection. You're identifying if that patient's high risk of infection, looking at the anatomical location of that wound, because some areas are going to be more susceptible to infection, the depth, how the wound's caused. When I was practicing in, in community, we had loads of skin tears caused on lower legs by commodes yeah where they just caught the back of the leg and you know straight away that's a warning that potentially that wound is going to become infected because of the the cause of that wound so there's a real need for that robust holistic assessment in the three-step approach that first step being the assessment but what are the the signs and symptoms of infection that people need to be looking out for sam so in terms of your local infection you need to be looking for those subtle signs of localised infection, that sort of hypergranulations or friable tissue. So where that granulation tissue, it just doesn't look healthy as it could be and it bleeds really easily. So when you say it doesn't look healthy, what, what would we be seeing in that hypergranulation and, and granulation tissue that isn't isn't the colour that we would 
ideally like it to be. It's usually a darker colour. It's not that nice, healthy pink colour. It's it's usually a, a bit more of a darker colour. And sometimes when you're cleansing, it will just lift from the wound bed. That's because there's that bacterial overload present in that wound bed. Also, you may get that wound breakdown. So you would see pink granulation tissue but actually that wound's still breaking down further and there's that delayed healing so those are your sort of subtle signs of localized infection at that wound bed they may also be that increased malodor the patient may be experiencing additional pain and then over time those subtle signs will then move more into your classic signs which most clinicians are more familiar with so that's your classic symptoms of sort of that erythema um, heat swelling that pussy discharge, delayed wound healing again, and pain that are more associated with that sort of classic signs of localised infection. So with local infection, because we have the wound infection continuum, don't we, which looks at contamination, colonisation, local infection, spreading infection, and then your systemic infection. So these signs and symptoms of infection that you have just described, whereabouts on that continuum does that sit? Because we know that all wounds will sit on that infection continuum throughout that healing phase. There will always be some type of bacteria present in that wound bed, but whereabouts do those symptoms sit? So when you're first looking at that continuum, you've got your contamination. So that's just where your natural microbes are just sitting within that wound bed. They're not causing any issue to the host. They're not proliferating. They're not causing any host response. Then it would then move on to your colonization. So again, those microorganisms may be proliferating slightly, but that patient's own immune system is managing it there's no delayed healing and again with those two sections on the wound healing continuum you would just be observing but it's when you move on to the next stage which is that local infection that's when you need to take action so that's when you're having those subtle signs of infection and those classic signs of infection that's when you would then take some action some actions required because what you don't want to do is then move further along the continuum into that spreading infection so that's where the microorganisms are infiltrating they're spreading throughout the body um, via the vascular or the lymphatic systems and they're they, they causing that sepsis or organ dysfunction um, and that systemic inflammatory response and this is where that patient's really at risk and they need they need urgent support and medical intervention. And ultimately, this is not where we want our patients to be, is it? Getting a systemic infection, a spreading infection throughout the body from a wound that we can manage when once we get to that localised infection. So if we're looking at the signs and symptoms and catching it early, the hope is that we do, the patients then don't progress on to the spreading infection or the systemic infection. So we've talked a little bit about the signs and symptoms of the local infection, but what are the signs and symptoms of a spreading infection? I know you said this is where the, the microbes sort of pass that two centimetre border of, of the wound and that surrounding skin, but what else could we be seeing in in that patient could it be that they are feeling generally unwell they start to some some patients will say that actually oh I feel unwell but I can't really tell you why I feel unwell they might have sort of like you know the coldy fluey symptoms that you get throughout the body it doesn't mean that they need to have a cough and a sneeze but their body feels weak and tired are there any other symptoms that the healthcare professionals might be able to pick up on? Yeah, so it, uh, like you're saying, Charlie, it is that sort of general malaise, not feeling right. When I was working out in the community, if a patient said to me, 
me, oh, I just don't feel right today. That was straight away one of those early warning signs of right. So the first thing I'd do is do the observations. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they might have uh, an increased blood pressure, also temperature if they're starting to get those more systemic infections, the observations are, are, are a good next step to identify if anything else has happened within that system that's that's out of kilter for that patient. But yeah, like you're saying, when it's that general malaise, that, that feeling flu, not quite right, muzzy headed. And like I say, that erythema, that spreading infection, it's going beyond two centimetres of that wound edge and the heat sometimes you feel off it. So even as you're taking the dressing off, you'll feel that real increase in heat and usually quite thick, pussy, exudate coming off. These are all those signs that it's all, it's all not very happy within that wound bed and things are starting to deteriorate. And, and you really need to be confident and skilled and have that knowledge to ensure that that patient doesn't become more and more unwell from that wound. So what can we do? If we find a patient that has got local infection in their wound, what would you advise that healthcare professionals do with that wound? Because what we don't want people to do is panic, ring the doctor and get them straight onto antibiotics, because we know that we don't need to treat a local infection with antibiotics. And with antimicrobial stewardship um, that we're talking about, it's in the news an awful lot at the moment about antibiotic resistance. We need to try and limit the amount of antibiotics that we are using. And and we have dressings, don't we, that we can use for that localised infection for for patients' wounds. Yeah. So we've got our antimicrobial dressings that we can use. But before that, we've got our wound preparation. So removing that devitalised tissue, that sloughy tissue, unhealthy tissue, ensuring that we're removing all those little pockets that the microorganisms like to live in and hide in, removing that, debriding that wound bed and then applying an appropriate antimicrobial and ensuring really good vigilance of the wound. So reviewing it more frequently if you're concerned just to make sure that that erythema, that spread in those signs of infection aren't getting worse, that we're, we're getting on top of it. That's really, really important. But taking it right back to the beginning, if we can embed and we have good wound bed preparation of those wounds, it's shown through um, some studies that if you do manage your wounds really, really well with good wound bed preparation, good assessment, and dressings that appropriately manage those symptoms of the wound, that actually you can reduce your your antimicrobial usage by 33% just by doing that prevention. So, you know, we always say prevention is always better than cure. So if we're able to really manage those wounds right from the beginning, do good wound bed preparation, choose the appropriate dressing, then they shouldn't get that wound infection in the first place. Or even if that patient's been identified at high risk, optimising that patient's health as much as possible, reducing those risks as much as possible, um, and having the, the skill and the knowledge to be able to do that, it's all in that prevention. So that really highlights the need for wound preparation, doesn't it? Because I know we've talked about this before, but wound preparation to to some healthcare professionals will be a relatively new term. Wound cleansing and debridement falls under that wound preparation category. But what you're saying is that wound preparation element of assess, prepare and treat is just as important as the step before assessment and the following step 
treat. They're all equally important. So if we're able to do really good wound preparation and we can reduce that antimicrobial usage, brilliant. But if a patient that we find does have a localised infection, is it safe to do wound preparation in a wound that's infected? Absolutely. And that is a definite time that you should be doing that wound preparation. Not only will that remove any devitalised tissue from that wound bed, it will disrupt Uh, any biofilm sitting in there so biofilm obviously so much more is known about biofilms but but in the context of everything to know about biofilms there is still so much more to learn but we know that biofilms sit in chronic wounds up to 80 percent of chronic wounds will have that biofilm and we need to disrupt and dislodge that biofilm has the same presentation as localized infection when it's present within a wound so you get that sort of static wound that's not progressing and it needs disrupting and removing so wound bed preparation again is is that key to to progressing that wound and, and getting it to that healing so yeah absolutely wound preparation of the wound bed before using your antimicrobials if local infection is present definitely and it's and and with that wound preparation it's not a one-off treatment this is something that has to be repeated uh, regularly and frequently and it's a necessity it's a fundamental part of your wound care regime your wound treatment plan for patients um, and it should be done at every dressing change So for those of you that don't know what a biofilm is, the easiest way to explain it to you is most of us will clean our teeth twice a day. And the reason for that is when you get up in the morning, you have that horrible furry feeling on your teeth. That is a biofilm. And what do we do? We clean our teeth. We use a brush and we disrupt that biofilm. And the reason we do it twice a day is because biofilms do like to come back. They're quite difficult to get rid of. So as you're saying, Sam, it's fundamental to do that wound preparation of that wound bed, wound edge and the peri-wound skin, just as we do with cleaning our teeth. You're right, Charlie. It is something that we need to do regularly. And and teeth is a really, really good example. Another example we use is sort of um, when you look at ponds and they've got that sort of that green algae all around it. That's a form of biofilm underneath your taps. So it just keeps reforming and reforming and it can reform so quickly. Like you're saying, we brush our teeth twice a day. But I'm sure if you're listening to this out here now and you run your tongue over your your teeth, you'll feel some sort of film over the, the top of them. And that's that biofilm reforming and yet it does need to be disrupted and and removed because the microorganisms that sit within that matrix want to protect themselves and while while that matrix is surrounding them any antimicrobials that you're putting in uh, on top of that wound bed it will just sit on top of that polysaccharide matrix surrounding that biofilm so it won't infiltrate won't penetrate and won't kill those organisms that are causing that infection within the wound bed. So the wound preparation not only prepares that wound for healing, but it prepares it for the treatment that's going to come next? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Just disclaimer, please do not use toothbrushes on your wounds. You need to use mechanical debridement pads. So wound preparation, Sam, not only prepares that wound bed for healing, but it prepares it ready for the treatment that we're going to use. So when we do wound preparation... And we need to make sure that we're preparing that wound bed, wound edge and that peri-wound skin because all three components of that wound are just as important as the other. What methods are there available for us to use for wound preparation? So there's mechanical debridement. So with pads that use technology that lift and disrupt the biofilms 
and take it away from the wound bed. You've got sharp debridement. If you're looking at different ways of debriding wounds, um, you've got sharp debridement. You've got your uh, larvae therapy, enzymatic. Using those enzymes to break down that tissue. And autolytic debridement where the body uses that moist wound healing to break down and get rid of any devitalized tissue. So something that, that all healthcare professionals can use is the mechanical debridement. So something like all prep pad. You're listening to Wound Care Conversations from Coloplast Professional. You can explore more of the educational material Coloplast Professional offers specialist nurses and healthcare professionals on our website, coloplastprofessional.co.uk. So we've talked about when it when is a good time to prepare and when it's safe to prepare, but is there any time at all that we need to be cautious with wound preparation? Yeah, so when patients have known arterial concerns, um, you wouldn't want to start debriding wounds um, if there's no blood supply so that that wound's not going to be able to heal and then you're opening them up to more infection. Fungating lesions very often need to be very cautious with. So again, that's where you'd be pulling on your specialists to advise on what the best way forward for that wound would be. If patients are on anticoagulant therapy, again, just be cautious and seek specialist advice if if you're concerned. And people that are immunosuppressed, so if they're having any particular treatments um, or any medications that are going to put them more compromised for uh, infection, just again, make sure that you're asking specialists within that field to, to support Okay. So we've talked about the, the, the signs and symptoms of an infection, but are there any investigations that we can do to help us diagnose that infection for the patient? So there's swabs and within sort of using swabs, you would only use a swab firstly if there's actual signs of uh, wound infection and it's suspected due to the clinical signs and symptoms that are that are present and you could get a swab taken but again it's going to take some time to get the results for that so you wouldn't wait for the results necessarily if the signs and symptoms are there you would therefore still treat it and it may just be that the results may help guide you on what antibiotic therapies required if there's no progression it's also important to remember that you you can take cultures you can do biopsies but all of these things take time to get the results um, which is why it's really important that as clinicians you've got that knowledge and skill to act at the point that that treatment's needed rather than waiting for a diagnostics to confirm if you if that patient's got those signs and symptoms yes do the diagnostics so that then you can make sure you've got the right antibiotic therapy in place but you still need to start treatment. Don't wait for it. Yeah, so you've got you've got other diagnostics, but again, some of those do take skilled clinicians to do. So, for example, biopsy is something that you would need to either refer on to unless you've had additional training to be able to, to do that. But swabs are the, are the most common sort of diagnostics that, that's used within wound care. And that's very varied, isn't it, throughout NHS trusts within the country. So please make sure that you follow your own policy around wound swabbing. Some trusts do do wound swabs, some trusts don't do any swabbing at all these days. So please just make sure that you you follow your local policy and procedure on that. So how does a wound infection impact that patient's quality of life? Because we know there can be 
an increase in their odour, an increase in pain, an increase in exudate. But it also means quite often that there's more visits that patient needs, whether they've got to go to the GP surgery, whether it means they have to stay in hospital, or whether it means the community nurse has to come out to see them more frequently. So how do you think that impacts on the patient's quality of life? Well, it has a huge impact on their on their quality of life. And one of the big ones that I, I like to talk about a lot when I'm doing my training and education is the odour. So often with wound infection, you get an increase in odour alongside that exudate. That's often one of the main concerns for patients that have wounds that are infected is that odour because it has such an impact on them. It makes them feel unclean. Mm -hmm. They feel like they don't want people to come near them. It can make them very socially isolated. I had one gentleman that wouldn't go on the bus, so he didn't drive and he had to go on the bus everywhere and he had a a long-standing leg ulcer um, and odour played such a part in his life that he became really housebound he would only let professionals into his house he became disengaged with his family and for him that odor was played such a a huge part so you know we really need to make sure that we're removing any dead devitalized tissue as soon as possible from that wound bed to to reduce the possibility of infection um, and reduce that odor another thing is uh Lots of younger people are getting quite complex wounds, working age people. So not only have they got the issue of getting to the clinics, it's actually financial. Is it impacting on their day-to-day jobs? Are they having to, to take time out? Are their employers happy for them to do that consistently for a long period of time if that wound's not healing? If the wound becomes infected, that patient's going to have that wound for so much longer. There's also the additional maybe pain relief that they need that may have other side effects that can really impact on a patient. You know, straight away, if I say codeine, Mm -hmm. whenever you give a patient codeine, you need to be thinking of their bowels Mm -hmm. to make sure that they're operating. Otherwise, you can end up in all sorts of trouble. So, you know, everything has a knock-on effect, doesn't it? And wound infection, if we can prevent that wound ever becoming infected, then we're preventing a whole lot of decrease in quality of life for those patients. Sam, we've talked a lot about assessment and preparation of wounds and wounds that are infected. But what about the treatment? I know lots of healthcare professionals first thought we'll go to antibiotics but that isn't always the case that we require antibiotics for our patients certainly with a localized wound infection is it no no absolutely and I think it's really really important that clinicians have the skill and knowledge to be able to identify at what point antibiotics would be required or when to request antibiotics from a prescribing clinician. We know there's a real big burden of antimicrobial resistance and some of the figures that we're seeing and estimations of what's going to happen in the future are really quite stark and quite worrying. For example, it's estimated up to 10 million deaths by 2050. So that's only 26 years away. You know, that equates to one person's death every three seconds due to antimicrobial resistance. So like I say, you know, we really, every single person has a responsibility to adhere to antimicrobial stewardship to ensure that the antibiotics we have are effective in the future. So it's really, really important that there is that justification, that clinical knowledge and skill as to why antibiotics are being prescribed. And like you say, in a a large majority of cases, that patient may not need those antibiotics. And we should be 
using uh, when we see that those local signs of infection, topical antimicrobials, and not just going straight to those antibiotics. And, and, you know, I've been nursing for over 10 years, 13 years. And in that time, I know that I have seen many patients given antibiotics when it wasn't necessary. I've seen many patients that have presented with red legs given antibiotics. I've seen many patients given repeated antibiotics without any improvement in wounds, but yet it's still given. So now is the time absolutely that we need to really question. But absolutely, if a patient needs antibiotics, you know, we need to get them into them as soon as possible, because the last thing we want is them becoming septic. So when they're needed, they are needed, but we just need to really think and use our skills and clinical knowledge to ensure they're used appropriately. So antimicrobial stewardship is really important, isn't it, at this time? Because that really helps to encourage that appropriate and optimised use of antimicrobials, antimicrobial dressings, and, and or antibiotics, and making sure that actually what we're using for that patient is correct. It's the right care for the right patient at the right time. So with regards to antimicrobial dressings, What is available for us to use for wounds that are infected? There's many different topical antimicrobials that can be used. We've got sort of like your honeys, your PHMBs, there's iodine-based dressings, and there's also silver, and they come in all different types of forms. So you can get liquid pastes, creams, ointments, sprays, impregnated dressings. You know, there's there's many different ways, but they all need different applications, and the clinician using them, it's their responsibility to ensure that they're working within the principles of antimicrobial stewardship, and they need to make sure they've done that in-depth wound assessment to identify that wound infection and only use those antimicrobials when it's indicated, not for a long, long time. You know, you've got the two-week challenge, and I've seen some patients that have presented at clinic that have been on a antimicrobial for six months, years. And again, we should be challenging that. We should be questioning why we're putting this antimicrobial dressing on. Is that infection still present? Is there signs of that local infection? Does that patient still need this dressing? Has it been effective? Has it done what we need it to do? Do we need to reassess? So, you know, it's not just a case of putting an antimicrobial on, that's the job done. It still needs lots and lots more review, assessment to ensure that that product's doing what you need it to do. So antimicrobials are now embedded, aren't they, or integrated into dressings to make it much easier for healthcare professionals. So at Coloplast, like we have our biotane silicon dressings for patients that don't have a wound infection, we also have biotane silicon AG for patients that are suffering from a localised wound infection. But it's also really important that you don't forget when a patient has got a spreading or and or a systemic infection, you still need to be treating that wound with an antimicrobial. And I, I sometimes think that that gets missed because we're starting to think about that patient, that whole patient again, getting them onto antibiotics that we forget about what we still need to be doing for that wound. 
Dressings like Biotane Silicon AG are really easy for healthcare professionals to use. They have that 3D fit technology. They can form down into that wound bed and they have that added bonus of having that silver built into the dressing. And silver is a real broad spectrum antimicrobial and it has effects against bacterial that are both gram negative and gram positive, but it is also shown to prevent biofilm formation in vitro studies as well. So that's really important. And the good thing as well with uh, the biotane silicon AG is it it has a a prolonged release. So it will continue to release silver into that wound bed. Some some dressings may just sort of like dump a big load of silver into the dressing, whereas actually it will, as the exudate goes into the dressing, the silver is released. So um, you, you are confident that that wound is getting constant silver denoted into it to, to reduce those um, microorganisms. Now you touched on the two-week challenge. What is that, Sam? So that's about ensuring that you're using your antimicrobial appropriately. So we call it the two-week challenge. It's about using that antimicrobial for two weeks. And within that two weeks, you're uh, assessing if it's actually been clinically effective for that wound bed. It's about seeing if that localised wound infection's gone in which case you can go back to your normal dressings and still incorporate your wound bed preparation. If there's been signs of improvement, then you can continue for another two weeks with your antimicrobial. But if there's been no improvement, then think, do I need to use a different type of antimicrobial? Because there's lots and lots of different microorganisms and uh, products may work differently on different microorganisms. So if it's not working within that two weeks, there's been no change to that wound bed, then you need to change change what you're doing. Um, so that's why the sort of the two week challenges is there to ensure that you're actually really reassessing. Has there been improvement? Has there not? Um, if there has, let's continue for another two weeks. So not only do we have the two-week challenge, but there will be locally where healthcare professionals are working, um, local policies and pathways that are in place to follow and to make life easier f- for healthcare professionals and, and then ultimately their patients in regards to wound infection. Yes, you're absolutely right. Follow your local policies, guidelines and, and pathways to ensure that you're managing your patients that are presenting with wound infections as per your local guidance. Thanks for joining us today and listening to us discuss how to assess, prepare and treat a wound with an infection. We hope you'll join us again next time. Thank you for listening to Wound Care Conversations. To see more of the wide variety of content we have to offer, please visit colloplastprofessional.co.uk. See you next time. Wound Care Conversations is a vibrant sound media production for Colloplast Professional.